Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's rare to find a gift that you know everyone on your list will love. That's what you get with an incredibly soft blanket from Minky Couture. With hundreds of different styles and sizes of Minky Couture blankets, you'll find a gift that they are sure to love every single day of the year. Shop the best deals of the season at MinkyCouture.com. Hey, Blue! We are the Baseball Umpires Podcast for umpires by an umpire. We are more than just balls and strikes and outs and saves. Listen in for tips, rule interpretations, equipment and attire reviews, interviews with umpires of all levels, and some funny stories that might come up every time out on the baseball field. If you're new to the field as an umpire or a seasoned vet in the world of umpiring, then this is the podcast for you. Hey Blue, the Umpire Podcast is part of the 1420 Sports Bar group of podcasts on the Belly Up Network. Are you thinking of going to a game or a concert in the coming days ahead, or do you already have tickets and want to upgrade where you're sitting? It's simple. Go to SeatGeek.com or the SeatGeek app. They have tickets for all sports going on right now, as well as concert tickets to shows throughout North America. And to make things even better, use promo code 1420POD, that's 1420POD, and receive 20 bucks off your first purchase. Once again, that's promo code 1420POD at SeatGeek.com or the SeatGeek app. Baseball season may be coming to an end, but real baseball players never have an offseason. Plate Crate is baseball's number one baseball subscription service and is a perfect monthly baseball gift that delivers a box of baseball treasure right to your door. Every Plate Crate contains six to eight unique baseball items, including gear, snacks, training aids, accessories, and apparel. Plate Crate has a different monthly theme and has a retail value of $85 per crate. Plate Crate also has clothing and accessories for coaches and parents as well. Just click on the Plate Crate banner on our YouTube channel, Facebook page, or our Twitter account and receive 20% off your order with promo code FASTBALL20 at Plate Crate. Plate Crate, inspiring every baseball player, young and old, with baseball's number one subscription box, one Plate Crate at a time. All right, Hey Blue, number six. We're happy to be joined today by John Galliente. Uh, from the Tri-State Elite Umpire Association, uh, president, assigner, uh, evaluator, all around everything, I'm fairly certain. Also, perfect game umpiring director of the Northeast region, if I'm correct, John. How are you, how are you doing today, uh, sir? And uh, what's, uh, what's going on in the uh, to Tri-State area? Good, man. Uh, we're, uh, thanks for having me on, first of all. Um, you know, we're kind of uh, coming to the end of a long haul here with uh, with November coming up. So we've got... Um, a few events to finish out October, and then we kind of able to take a couple weeks off, take a breath, and then uh, start planning for 2023. And then you get right back into we're kind of in the same boat here in Southern Alberta. We don't have the same workload that you guys got, obviously, but uh, no, it's good to have you on. Um, we'll get rid of the, this, the simple stuff first. Uh, first off, where did uh, where did you get your start in the umpire world? And uh, 
how did it all begin? I'm sure you were a player like, like the rest of us were at a young age. And how did you decide to uh, put on the different uniform? Yeah, it's, uh, I was a catcher my whole life. I uh, caught in college, uh, the junior college level. And um, I kind of had that situation, you know, I guess where I was not a big school guy. So I was probably in junior college more to play baseball than I was to um, do anything regarding education. So once baseball was over, um, it was it was hard for me to stay engaged and 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 continue to uh, continue my education. So I was just looking for opportunities uh, to make some money uh, where your hourly rate is probably not in line with what your maybe experience is in something or or what your you know educational background would be. So yeah. if you think about it, umpiring kind of falls into that. You don't need a college degree to make thirty dollars an hour. Um, that, yeah, so I, I started to do that. I, uh, I looked at some, some advertisements for my local high school organization. I took that class, um, coming out of that class, I worked literally every single game I possibly could. Um, and shortly thereafter, um, I kind of envisioned another route or another style of running an umpire organization. Um, and so we, I launched our own organization with eight umpires. One of them was me and one of them was my dad. So it's hard to say how many we had six other umpires outside of my family, which is not much of an organization. Yeah, 75% was from outside your family. They thought that 75% were Galantes. <laughs> yeah. Um so we didn't have much at the time, um, but we also didn't have many umpires. So we we picked off a couple little leagues here and there. We picked off a couple tournaments. Um, and we just really focused on servicing the events and also servicing the umpires, making sure they were supported and trained and um kind of took up the the fight for for better fees and things like that and a lot of umpires appreciated that because uh, I think that's I still think that's something that's lacking in the umpiring community you know worldwide um, that's that's the biggest fight we've got here right now is increasing the fees I mean I, I was out of it for quite some time uh got back in it after a quite a long a long absence because life got in the way and I when I came back to X amount of years later that the fees hadn't changed incrementally with everything else that that uh, done so that, that's one thing that we're, we're fighting here and in Southern Alberta, you went from 12 and now you're, you're at over what? 600. I think I read today. Um, 615, something 615. What was the, uh, the, the biggest thing that did that, that you found the easiest way to recruit guys and, uh, one to recruit guys, but another thing to keep people interested, because that's one thing that that's tough in uh, any aspect of, of any, any professions, keep, keep people interested. Yeah, I think, you know, we it, it's been a long, long haul with a lot of work put in by a lot of people. I mean, I don't I don't want to discount that fact. It's it hasn't been easy um, and it's taken a lot of time and many years. But we've gotten ourselves to the point where, and we're really proud of it where, uh, you know, I live in South Jersey. The Philadelphia metro area is kind of our bread and butter in in and around Philadelphia. And it's to me, it's at the point right now through all the hard work and efforts and supporting of umpires that if somebody says, you know, you know, hey, I, I was thinking about becoming an umpire. They're pointing us, they're pointing them in our direction. So a lot of it, we've developed a reputation in the area for the best place to go. If you want to be developed into an umpire, if you want to be paid fairly, if you want to be trained properly, if you want to have a shot to advance to higher levels. Um, so that that was that's the end of the story. The beginning of the story is a lot of social media marketing. Um, getting out of a classroom, we we just don't do yeah. it. There is no classroom work. Um, if you've never umpired before, you will not touch a book. You will not write anything down. You will not sit in a classroom. Um, and we have all of our training for new umpires in a baseball facility or on a baseball field if the weather permits. With baseballs being thrown, mock runners, mock hitters, like it's all actual umpiring. It's not like what are the dimensions of a glove? 
hundred percent. That's the, that's the funny thing. When I, we, we decided to start doing our week, our bi-weekly clinics here in Southern Alberta to try to draw more people. They were talking about doing rules and all that, that kind of stuff. And I said, they're not going to hear a thing that we're talking about. They'll sit in a classroom and, and that's the problem that you have with, um, I'm going to use the term Little League just because it's 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 kind of a world-renowned Little League, is that they sit these guys in the classroom for half a day and they put them on the field for a few hours. At the end of the day, you get your you get your little patch to put on your new shirt and see you later. And that was one thing that I thought we should do here in our area is get people on the field and get people calling, not live so much, but where to stand, how to stand, and why you're standing there. Because that's the one way you're going to actually learn something. Because in general, a baseball game can take care of itself. And like you said, the the, the size of a baseball glove, who cares? The dimensions of a field, that's the field you're on. Who it it, it yes, you, you should care about it, but it it doesn't go into what goes on in a baseball game on a daily basis. Yeah. And it's like if we think about the way we're currently training new umpires, I mean, the amount of time we're spending on minute rule issues compared to if you actually go umpire and how much you will have to apply that rule knowledge compared to calling 300 pitches in a baseball game, calling outs and safes. Like, I don't know. You you could work every day of the month and have one rule interpretation that month, but I guarantee you, you will call 10,000 pitches. So we might teach you, you know, the obstruction rule really well or whatever intricate rule that we all pride ourselves on knowing, but the application of how to actually umpire and get pitches right get out out safes right how to deal with coaches like that's another thing that we're killing ourselves on as a as worldwide amateur umpires we don't equip umpires to deal with these situations that happen on the field and then we sit here and throw up our hands and go you know we don't have any umpires because they're mistreated that's a part of it but we're also not preparing umpires to deal with that stuff either. And that's, we got to blame ourselves for some of this. That's one question I, I had for you. Like the hardest thing, like there's one thing, what, like how to deal with, uh, with new guys and even older people who, who join up uh, is how to deal with, with, with coaches, with managers, whatever they want to be called on a certain, on any certain day. What do you do? I saw you call call your guys cadets. Um, what do you do? Like, how are you teaching game management on a, on a daily basis with your guys to say, this is how you should deal with it. And then not, not just automatically throwing guys out all the time and not to be cops per se, but to actually to teach these guys, okay, here's how you have to deal with the human element because we, we will get into the, how, how people are reacting to officials and to people in general around the world. Like, how are you preparing your cadets to go out on the field for their first time, their 10th time? And like, what are you doing with your guys to make sure that they're prepared before they step on the field for the first time? Yeah, I think it's, I think it's just really important, number one, to spend time on it because that that's the simplest part about it, but we're, we're just not doing it enough ac- across our country anyway. Um, but simplifying the process and not making it as complicated as it can be made out to be because as umpires, like we're not, we're not in an altercation in a parking lot at, at the Walmart. We're, it, 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 there's not many options we have. We've got four options. So like, let's boil it down to what we can do. We've got ignore, acknowledge, warn, and eject. Those are our only four options. That's if right. we're doing something outside of the realm of those four things, we probably overstepped our bounds or we probably acted inappropriately. So we kind of teach them what is ignore? What does that mean? Well, ignore is the simplest one. They're just, we're not going to respond to it. Yeah. Acknowledge is a little bit more complicated, but we're going to acknowledge what that we heard what someone said. Like, we get you. We heard you. 
It could be something as simple as just a nod of the head and you look over the dugout and yeah, just nod, it's nod like, your hey, head. And that's Brent, it. I heard you. You think it's down. I get it. I don't think it's down. I heard you, Brent. Yeah. Sometimes that alone will be like, okay, this guy's a normal human being behind the plate. Okay. He's acknowledged me. And uh, the fact that he's addressing me and not shying away from this conversation kind of helps sometimes. Um, instead of what we find is a lot of umpires, instead of ignore, acknowledge, warn, eject, we go ignore, 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 ignore. Ignore, 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 and then we hate umpiring because we've we've ignored every inappropriate comment in our direction for three hours of a baseball game. And that's the thing, like you you uh, you should you should how, how do you word it? You should hear everything, but don't listen. I guess is, yeah. is one way of, of, of saying of saying do, doing that. Like you have rabbit ears, we all do. Like there's no matter what, a guy's only 25, 30 feet away. You're going to hear what they say. There's no way you're not if you have any kind of um, any kind of a conscience, I guess. But just to uh, to completely ignore guys and you're, you're like that, that my whole afternoon sucked for this $40 I made or whatever it is. It, it's not worth it. And that's how people leave. Uh, do you have to roll your guys back a little bit? Like uh, when they, you hear about uh, these horror stories where they got 15 ejections in 10 games, you, you, you ever find, find you got to hold guys back from just gunning guys all the time. Yeah. I mean, I would say that's rare. Um, and, you know, we'll sit back and say, and I really try to like I'm sitting at a desk right now. This is where the conversation would happen if if a, if chaos happened on Sunday and there was 15 ejections. I mean, I can sit in my air conditioned uh, office right now at a desk and say, "Oh, I would have done X, Y, Z." Yeah. But I don't think that's really helpful. I think it's really helpful to go back in the moment and say, "Well, how could like let's see how we could have handled this better." Is is this action or is this comment an ejection in itself? Maybe, maybe not. You know, we can sort of dial it back from there. Like, is that what is that comment filed under? And that's why we try to simplify it. Is that is this comment from the coach more of an acknowledge? Is it more of a warn? Is it more of an eject? And obviously the game situation has something to do with it. And, you know, if it was consistent for three innings and then they said something that otherwise may be an ignore. Well, maybe it is a warning because they've done it three times now. Um, so I try not to second guess too much because I know being out there when 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 everything hits the fan can be somewhat of a battlefield. And that's, that's unfortunate. The other problem is I think we just spend too much time talking about it. Like, you know, in, in conversations like this or, you know, in news articles or whatever, I just think we spend too much time saying like how crazy it is out there or how many, you know, all the stuff that ends up on the news, somebody threw a bucket of balls on the field or somebody punched an umpire. It, it, it all happens. That's not what I'm trying to say. It doesn't happen. I just think it happens so less frequently than we kind of make it out to be in the media. It's actually a great gig. Umpiring is a great thing. If you love baseball and want to stay involved and make a good hourly rate, will there still sometimes be situations that are chaotic and crazy? Yes, but it's rare. It is too bad that it does hit the airwaves a lot more than, than it should. Like there should be none of that stuff, but we're never going to, going to get away with, uh, away from it. It's been a part of the game. Not, it's been a part of the game since I've been, I'm 49 years old, 48 years old now. So it's been around for the Billy Martin days, how long ago and, and the rest of it. So you're not going to get away from, from the arguments and the bickering. And, but it's, it's not nearly as bad as it gets portrayed to be. I think sometimes we're just a little too, um sensitive on on both sides of the spectrum and there 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 are things that get put out there when something does go sideways that 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 gets brought up a, a lot more and then when there's games that uh that that go flawlessly where there's 53 ground ball outs and then it's it's a walk off home run in the bottom of the ninth which never happens but that game never gets talked about and and that's something that, that needs to get publicized a lot more to um, pr prospective umpires to say hey it's not as bad as people make it out to be 
Yeah, it's just I just think we can we can all and I say we as like every person who has any leadership responsibility in any umpire organization. Like, let's take a break from talking about that stuff for a second. Let's talk about how great this thing is. We all love it. We wouldn't be sitting here on a on a Zoom podcast talking about umpiring if it wasn't great. A hundred percent. Let's get away from the negative stuff. What's some of the positive things that you've got that, and that, that have changed since you, you got the Tri-State uh, Umpire Association going? What are some of the more positive things that, that you've uh, encountered and saw a lot of the, the, the things that have changed since you started going on at this 10, 12 years ago? Like what, what's been the best part of it for you and what's been the most positive changes uh, in, in your part of the world? Yeah, the, the the best part for me will will always be the interactions with the umpires, the training of umpires, the umpires that are willing to go above and beyond to train themselves and better themselves, sometimes even when they have no aspirations of reaching higher levels of baseball. To me, that is the ultimate um, situation in amateur umpiring that is really a positive to shine a light on. Like, a guy who has no interest in going to college baseball, he just wants to be the best 13-year-old umpire he can possibly 100%. be. That's an awesome thing. Um, and we have so many guys like that. And it's been developed through, you know, sort of a culture. And it, it's not just me. It's a, a bunch of people um, that want to help other umpires, sometimes who've reached the college level and want to come back and give back. So a lot of, like, voluntary training um, and as we've grown and as we've been able to influence the umpire community, you know, with with more umpires and, you know, with this position with perfect game that I have, as we've been able to influence more umpires, we've also been able to sit here and stand up and go, you know what, I think we should be paid more. I don't think the rates have been right for 20 years. So is it crazy to go from 50 to 80 in one year? Maybe. But I think it should have been 60, 25 years ago. And yeah. I think it should have been 70, 10 years ago. So how do we get it back on track? I'm I'm cool with being the guy who stands up for that stuff. Um, once you get, I, I think I have a certain responsibility. I think anybody in a position of power has a certain responsibility uh, to take up that fight for a fair a fair fee. You know, I, I don't think guys could, should get two hundred dollars for a thirteen. Yeah, million. you're not out here to get rich by any means, but you'd like to be compensated for your time. There's no getting around Fairly. that. Like and, it's, it's and it shouldn't. The there's too much of hey, it's it's for the kids, so this is the fee. And I, I get all that. We're, none of us would be here if we didn't care about kids playing baseball. But on the other hand, it's just like everything else. We still got to get a guy to get in his car and drive away from his family for two hours, sometimes 10 hours if they're working a full tournament day. And that that should require compensation that's fair for what they have to do. Stand out in the elements, deal with some of this stuff from parents and umpire professionally. And if you want a professional umpire, you're not just paying for the time on the field. You're also paying for all the time they put in to train, study rules, and be, become as good as they are. Well, that's one thing I, I try to get across to the people that in, in our area here is that even though we're not to classify as professional, we're the only ones getting paid. I mean, there is people making money off of, off of the sport. There's no doubt about that. But you have to say, okay, we even though you're only doing a, say, a, a 12U game or a 15U game or whatever it may be, we are the only ones who are physically getting paid for that moment. So, so being the person who has to be professional and, and uh, sometimes we're, I'll get to negative a little bit. Sometimes you have to settle things down a little bit. You're the only one getting paid. So being professional is, is part of it. And so that's why I think that asking for more dough from these associations who it doesn't even get pushed the association it gets pushed the parents anyways. And so it's, it, I don't think it's too much to ask for guys to get paid a little more money. No. And it's, 
you know, the sticker shock of it sometimes is more the biggest problem than anything, but like just not being bashful about it. Like if I'm the guy negotiating the contract, like I just think this is what they should get paid. And if, if you want a different organization or you want different umpires for a cheaper price, I have no problem with that. If you are a little league that's budget conscious and you need to save money somewhere, that's fine. Maybe we should step aside as an umpire organization. That's okay too. But when you break it down, you actually do the the arithmetic of it and, and divide it up. I mean, many times we're seeing increases that end up being like a dollar fifty a kid. So, you know, it's it's not yeah. it's not breaking anybody's budget. I know it's coming, you know, the the sticker shock of it might be a different story, but actual dollars and cents, what it costs to the parent to actually make sure an umpire is compensated fairly ends up between like a dollar fifty and three dollars a kid. And we'll try to break down that math and show it to people. But if in the end price is more important than than quality or you know making sure the games are covered no matter what, which is something an organization with six hundred umpires can do, that's that's fine. There's no hard feelings about that. Well, the funny thing is, you, you mentioned it's a dollar fifty a kid here and there, but uh, little Billy's parents won't won't mind sending him to a, a hitters clinic thirty times a, a, a winter to to take this hitters clinic that doesn't really do them a whole bunch of good. But someone's making money off that, and they they won't think twice about about dumping money into that. But to something to make the, the game actually better, they they have a. Uh, there's some concern for that for whatever reason. Uh, and it, I don't understand that when it's, it's making the game better. Cause if you don't have umpires at your game, it's just practice. Sure. No doubt. And I think we, we become somewhat of an afterthought at a certain point, which, you know, we're trying to change that too. So, you know, the quality of umpiring and the professionalism of the organization and making sure there's never issues with coverage and things like that take time and money and effort by a lot of people. And, you know, if that stuff is important to you, you know, you'll pay 12 bucks more a game. If not, that's okay too. When, when you set, set up your contracts, so I don't know what you call them, but you let's call them contracts or your agreements with these other associations to, uh, to, to look after their games. What, what do you tell them other than the money aside? What do you tell them that, that, that they need to do to make sure that your guys are being treated properly, that this has to be done? Like what makes it better for, for your guys to, to once they get to those games that, 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 they're, that they're doing that you've said, okay, we, we are now being the, we're assigning these games for whatever township. And now we're doing this. Like, what do you make sure that your guys have that other guy that other associations don't have? Well, we want to, for, we want to make sure that we have an agreement and, you know, we can have an agreement all we want on, on the way conduct is going to be handled when our umpires arrive or when something happens on the field. But we want to see that followed up on. It's it's easy to sit here in you know in December and say, oh yeah, if, if X Y Z happens, we're going to handle this you know this way. But then when it actually happens in May, are they going to follow up on that? And that's really important. Like our sometimes our umpires are wrong, and oh and yeah, we that on our side, and we we all we all never actually talk about that either. Sometimes the umpire is wrong, but when the um when something happens on a little league field, for example, we need to make sure we have the support in place. For this to be handled, we can't have an umpire on a solo minors baseball game with chaos going on in the stands or a uh, an unruly coach and not have support of the league. So we really try to lay out this is what we need from you guys. And if you're not prepared to um, to support our umpires in this way, well, it's, this may not be a great relationship between the two of us because we need not only the the, the fee that we think is fair, we need a support structure around the umpires that are going to allow them to succeed. And with no support structure at the field, I think I think we're just setting people up for failure. So, 
is there like what do you guys do uh, like we're we're racking our brains because we can't be everywhere you you have this this many games going on you have this many this many uh umpires we're still doing games like do you guys have something that if something does go sideways where or so there's there's a not a go sideways per se but if there's something that uh there's a, a disagreement between say a coach and, and an umpire and the it does the a coach ever get their say on on what what went on if something if a guy did get ejected or just he's done see you later? Well, the one thing that we would would never tolerate, and that's not to say that we don't have ejections over the course of the year yeah. that are unwarranted. That definitely happens. But once someone's ejected, that's it. We're we're not overruling that. There's no there's no conference whether the ejection was worthy or not at the time. We can go back and make sure there's no suspensions levied yeah. and things of that nature. But the the slippery slope that is overturning an ejection. Once oh no, happens, that's that's a, that's a, that's a never never. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I didn't know if that's what you're getting at or or something. Different. No, I was thinking like more after the game. Can a, does a coach ever get a, a chance? Because if they get X amount of uh, ejections, they get suspended. Can do, do, yeah. do sometimes coaches go. Here's my here's my side of the story. Do, do the associations go? This wasn't warranted. This was warranted. Like, what's how's it treated in your area? Yeah, it depends a little bit on the level, and and some people may disagree with this. But I mean, I think if you get ejected from a little league minors baseball game, which you is like 18 years old, there's something wrong with you. I mean, I I legitimately think there's something wrong with you, and yeah. and perhaps that there might be some bigger issues at play here than than a baseball call. To be honest with you, maybe that seems harsh. On the other hand, if we're talking about 18-year-old baseball, varsity high school baseball, if we're talking about men's uh, semi-pro baseball, a little different to me. I treat that a little different. Um, So when it happens in a minors baseball game, not only are the the, the kids totally generally unaware of what the call was or why it was may have been the wrong call. They don't care. But they don't really care that much. And who's actually umpiring the 8- to 10-year-old baseball game? Well, probably. A veteran umpire who just really loves to umpire and wants to give back, which is great. Yeah. But more often, it is a cadet where it's a 17-year-old kid who just started umpiring. And you're going to destroy this kid's future, potentially, of being an umpire and be a part of – and the, the potential that this kid has to be a part of the solution to all of our numbers problem. And, like, I just have very little tolerance for that. If you're going to if you're gonna create a situation like that for, a, for an 18-year-old first-year umpire, I have no sympathy for you. I don't care how bad the call was. Uh, yeah, and that's just it, John. Is that it's it's funny that you say that because you you hear about that. The, the, I've always said if somebody's getting that upset over over a a ten U game or whatever it is, whatever whatever you want to call it, and someone's getting that rattled up where the kid doesn't even know what happened, and then when the game's about ten minutes over, if you go by that that kid a Slurpee, he doesn't even know the game existed at that point. And so so for coaches and parents to be that upset after the fact, there's something systemically wrong with that whole situation in my opinion like that that's absolutely insane i'm glad you brought up some guys that um that uh want to give back to the game that are a little bit older veteran guys um we have some of those guys in our association and god love them because they they do a lot of games that like let's say i i don't want to don't say i don't want to do because i'll go out and help whatever i can but is there does there ever come a point where mate you you start you got to put guys uh lack of a better term Put them to pasture a little bit and say maybe it's time you 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 started doing these games again instead because it's just a, it's starting to pass you by. So you don't want to tell guys to quit because you need bodies no matter what, right? And not and you don't want just hat fillers or uniform fillers, but you still need guys. Do you ever get to a point, John, where you're like, hey, Bill, it's geez, maybe you should start doing these games a little bit. Yeah, and I think those are always tough conversations, but I think I think in the end. 
you're always going to be better off being um, kind and truthful at the same time. Um, so if you can pull that off, which, you know, sometimes I don't do very well, more truthful <laughs> than kind sometimes. But um, if you develop a reputation and you you earn people's trust, and, and I hope that I've done that with, with a lot of our umpires, you know, that conversation goes a little bit better than, um, you know, if you've developed a reputation or you you have not developed a relationship with the umpires where you're looking out for their, you know, for their best interests. So I'm looking out for the best interests of the individual umpire, but not only the individual umpire, the entire organization. So the the strategic assigning of the umpires is is something that's very important. So putting yes. people in a position where maybe the game has has passed them by or the game is too fast for uh, for them at a point in time when they get older, but they want to stay involved. Uh, you know, this doesn't have to be a terrible conversation. It's like, hey, you know, you're 77 now. <laughs> you, know, you still do a great job. You know, the foot speed's not there. Maybe it's time to like to take a step back here from from 17 year old perfect game to 13 year old perfect game. Um, and just the speed of the game is a little different. And most times, guys understand that. Uh, but the guys who don't, there's not a lot you can do other than be kind and honest. When, and on the other hand, when you get new guys coming, like when you get uh, guys who come in who said, said they've uh, they've been doing it for X amount of years and they've been doing this and been doing that and they they join your your association or, or, and then you get uh, guys who know, who know nothing. Which one is the uh, easier one to to uh, to deal with? Uh, the, the, when you get new people in your association, which one do you, uh, I wouldn't say rather have because you want as many guys as you can because you need bodies, but do you find it much easier when a guy's been around for a long time that they're a little bit harder to um, to mentor and to teach a little bit when you got a brand new guy who doesn't have any... any uh, Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18+. plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. This holiday season, Lexus wants you to remember. Nothing feels as good as making others feel good. Those so-called feel-good holiday films? They can't hold a gingerbread-scented candle to the feeling of giving them something that gives them all the feels. Make this December one to remember, together. Click the banner to discover more. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer any bad habits per se, which one would you rather have in, in, in your world? Which one's easier for you to deal with? A thousand times out of a thousand, I will take the guy that has never even seen a baseball before. hundred percent. And those guys are like fresh molds of clay. Those are the guys that in a year and a half end up, you know, being right on the cusp of like varsity baseball or maybe a junior college baseball Younger guys that know nothing about umpiring, that have no bad habits to break, that are taught the right way from the beginning, those guys go quick. Those guys rise up ranks quickly. Anytime I have a discussion or a phone call or a random email with somebody says, hey, you know, I heard a lot about your organization. I've been umpiring for 72 years and X, Y, Z. That's a bad start to the conversation. That's red flag for me. Um, some of those guys are great, but the harping on how many years you've been doing it and why you don't need to know anything else or why you don't need to train anymore. Very, very bad vibes for me. And the, the, the bad vibes have uh, 
probably all too frequently equaled, you know, bad performance on the field or lack of training or lack of, you know, knowledge of what or where they're supposed to be on the field. And some of those guys come around too, you know, after they see the training program, after they see some of our um, training curriculum, some of those guys come full circle too and say, Hey, you know what? I have been doing this for 38 years, but apparently I'm not that good. That's exactly. I say, I hear that. I say that a lot when we get some older guys. Now we started doing some clinics and, and then uh, just because you've been doing it right for 40 years, doesn't mean you've been doing it right for 40 years. Right. And then, and then we had a couple of kids who were 13, 14 years old and it was, it was very simple. Stand here. Kate, it was go. We were just doing a ground ball in the infield stand here. Yep. Good. And there was no, there was no, uh, it was the dic- it wasn't a dictatorship, but it was like pretty easy, pretty easy to teach a kid. Say, okay, well, I mean, this guy he knows better than I do. Uh, it's, it's a pretty simple thing to do, and it was yeah. uh, it's it's quite it's quite good. J- John, you said that you uh, you were played with junior college, and we have a, a basically junior college program here, and we're trying to get guys that um, to get into umpiring and to to be, be a part of it when when their playing days are done, because there's only X amount of players who who, who are, uh, are able to page. Or to play at the age of the age of uh, 22, like most kids are done playing when they're 17, and then they slowly trickle out. But then now with all these other teams and all these other perfect game things and all these different things are popping up and summer baseball here and there, and they all want to be coaches for some reason. What's your advice to say a guy like me to maybe go to somebody or to to people who do, do listen to this podcast to say, hey, maybe instead of being a coach, what like what what would you like how? Maybe give umpiring a chance. Like, what, what's your what's your advice to a guy like me to say to say to these guys, hey, maybe uh, instead of being a coach or a hitting coach, third degree, whatever, why not be an umpire? I mean, we could just first of all highlight the the pay difference is incredibly uh, <laughs> better for umpires. I mean, um, in the end, it might not have the cachet of you know and get gaining the experience to eventually be a head coach of a college baseball team. They but you retire. know, if that's your um, if that's your goal to be a head coach of a college baseball team, I don't even want the responsibility of pulling you away from that. I, I want the guys that just don't know about umpiring as an opportunity. And there, I think if we focus just on those players, we have plenty here. There's plenty for everything. There's plenty that we're going to go into coaching that we shouldn't try to stop them from doing. And there's plenty that are like, okay, never saw myself as a coach, but I guess baseball's over for me now. And maybe I'll go play in a Sunday morning men's league. Those are the guys I want. Um, and I just don't think we present it enough as an option. We're not sharing enough information with college kids that are reaching the end of their college career. And their college career doesn't even have to be over to get involved because by the time we get busy in the Northeast here, college baseball is over. College baseball is over in May. June yeah. and July gauntlet for us. So like this kid is sitting there uh, before he goes back to school in September and he may be pumping gas somewhere or working at a Home Depot, which there's nothing wrong with it. But like this is an option for you to make more money doing something a little more free um, and make your own schedule rather than, you know, punching a time clock at maybe a retail store. So when we've presented that option, we've had a lot of success. And another avenue we've really tried to pursue and highlight are father-son duos. Like we've got 45-year-old umpires that have a a 17-year-old son. And maybe separately, it would be hard to get those guys into umpiring. But the ability to umpire with their dad and him take them under their wing and us cultivate that relationship, there's something about that that's worked. And we're, you know, 600 umpires is a lot. Out of that 600, we probably have 14 or 15 father and son tandems that we try to keep together when we can. And not only are they making money together, but they're experiencing something that's pretty cool. 
Well, and that's that's something I guess we could reach into because like that's when your kid gets to the age of 16, 17 years old, they start doing a lot of things without dad and dad uh, kind of gets left, left in the, in the, in the back, back things anymore. Cause they're out chasing girls, whatever they're doing, whatever. I don't know what kids are doing when they're 17 years old anymore. Cause I, I'm a 17 years old and so they're a long way in the rear view mirror for me, yeah. but that's one thing that that could uh, definitely reach. Um, is there another, what has been, been the, the part, the hardest things like I saw something you posted uh, a while ago, I think it was back in June or July. It doesn't much matter. Just touch on the negative thing where, where a kid did spend a bunch of money. He uh, went out there and did one weekend. He, he took the, the 15 hours worth of, of, uh, of clinics and the whole bit, spent the equipment for the uniforms and everything else. And he had one day and he said, that's it for me. Is there, was there any way you could pull this guy out or was he just, was it just, I'm out, I'm not coming back. Did you try to bring, bring that, that kid back? I don't even know how old he was, but I just remember reading the story. Uh, was there any way that you could try to bring that kid back or was it this, was it that bad of a situation where he was like, I'm out, I'm not coming back. The situation was very bad and I would not have blamed him for sticking to the story of I'm not coming back. But thankfully um, we've thrown a lot of support around him. The tournament uh, leadership where it happened threw a lot of support around him. Um, the South Jersey Warriors tournament in uh in South Jersey here, which is a local event that that uses our umpires as a big supporter of our umpires. They sent him a restaurant gift card. They reached out to him. Um, we reached out to him and said, like, hey, this is, like I said to you, this is more of the uh, exception than it is the rule. And sometimes we're on, like, I just think you're unlucky. I think you got unlucky the first day out to have that situation happen. That's, that's just really unfortunate um, to happen in your first time out. I think... I would have no problem if you never want to umpire again, but let me present the options of how we could move forward and how this could be acceptable to you. Let's get you on a couple lower level little league base jobs with some veteran umpires to get you back in the mix, get you to understand that every time you walk on this field, it is not chaos. Every time you walk on the field, it is not dealing with parents trying to storm the baseball field. Like that's not what this is about. On the other hand, if your only experience is that and you tell me, well, quite frankly, I'm not taking a chance again of dealing with it. Yeah. There's nothing I can do. There's nothing I can do about that. But I, what a sad day or a sad series of days that was trying to can get across to this kid that you put in all this time and the experience was so bad that you don't want to do this anymore. Thankfully we avoided that, but we, there's so much work put in to try to get these kids or, or grown men to the point where they're ready to walk on a field to see all that time and effort, not only from the umpires, but our, our staff that we put into these people, wait, you know, basically thrown away is really, really tough to take. How much time do you put into a, uh, whatever age? What's actually what the guys who, who first get going with you, what's their, when it's their first, first time out there, what's the average age you got going for guys that, that, that first get going? Yes. Yeah, so we, this has been amazing recently because we all see, in the news, you know, like the average age of a varsity, bait, you know, umpire or whatever is probably 63 or something ridiculous, Crazy, where there's yeah. no no possible way that that's sustainable over the next 20 years. We just rolled out a cadet class of umpires where the average age was 31 and a half. Um, that's crazy. It is crazy. The youngest was 16. The oldest was like 47, which obviously, would, I mean, the age doesn't matter in, no. in terms of a one-on-one, -on -one, but... In in the in the grand scheme of things, 
like the more 20 year olds we have, the, the better the outlook is for the future. And so we've stopped putting these age limits on people who have an interest in umpire. We had an 11 year old take the class two years ago. That's not to say he worked 20 games a year, but he did go out and work a seven U game with his dad and work the bases. Like what's the harm in it? It was a seven U, you know, intramural. Um, I don't even know if he had a play at a base because nobody can catch the ball at that level. But he, he, he just cool. out there pretending and he thought he was the coolest thing in the world. Yeah, they gave him 10 bucks to go. He had a uniform. It looked cool as hell. And there was like no plays to call, but he was having fun. So like if we got an 11-year-old kid with an interest in umpiring, I'm not going to tell him wait five years and come back to me. Like, let's get him in the class. That's where I got my start, where my uh, parents are in Fort McLeod, the little town that I grew up in, 2,000 people in the town that I grew up in. The Little League Park was right across the field from from uh, from the house there. So they, I, I would find a way to get $5 in a free hot dog was all I was getting back then. If it was even five bucks, I don't even know. I probably got a bag of chips and a hot dog, but it was always a fun thing to do. And like you said, I got a, I went, eventually my parents got me a pair of gray pants and a blue shirt and see you later. Right. So it was a, it was a lot of fun. It, it's astonishing that you're getting guys at 31. Um, social media, I think is a big thing that I, I know that you use a lot and your YouTube videos, your YouTube videos are fantastic. I, I've noticed when I first uh, got back into this after my, my hiatus, I uh, was okay. Yeah. That, 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 a lot of stuff gets into your head and that, that goes on to the um, like how you do things and how we're trying to do things. The on the field stuff means a lot more because people are more visual than anything. Your YouTube videos, I think are fantastic. What, to, what made you thought to, to go with that and say, this is how we, we need to use this to um, improve what we're doing here in the, with our association. <clears throat> yeah. Appreciate that. The, uh, the, the funny thing about umpiring and, and umpiring organizations and umpiring leadership is like nobody can accuse us, you know, in, in the grand scheme of the umpiring world of being like cutting edge with technology. Nobody can accuse no. us of being cutting edge with social media. So like the bar is super low. So like we look like geniuses when we roll out a YouTube video or we look like geniuses when we roll out a social media marketing campaign. We just need to do more of that. And that's what we've always been trying to do from the very beginning is just be a little bit more efficient. Let's be a little bit more um, of a pivot to the future rather than the way it's been done for 40 or 50 years, because obviously that that way is broken and it's been broken for a long time. Otherwise, we wouldn't have seen declines year over year over year like the declines we're seeing where varsity contests have to be canceled occasionally because there's not enough officials. So. We started with you know, like a nonsense podcast. I think it was terrible at the beginning. Um, we were sitting in oh, you know, <laughs> in a loft in my condo um, with like a mock interview type of thing. And uh, sometimes I like to hear myself talk. So that was like the beginning of it. And we kind of developed it from there and fine-tuned it. Then we started to take questions. Then we started to say, hey, we're having a clinic next weekend. Why don't we mic me up? Why don't we get a camera guy there? Why don't we film the whole thing and then edit it down from two hours to 40 minutes? We post it. We got 1,000 views. And I'm like, oh, that's kind of cool, 1,000 views. Well, now the thing has 450,000 views. Um, and people were you know, commenting from all parts of the world. Um and we said, you know what, maybe this, not that we're super smart, but maybe this is just something that hasn't been done for whatever reason in this area of umpiring. It's been done everywhere else, but we're, we're behind the curve here. So if we, if we can take the ball and run with it on this, um, that's probably an opportunity for us to, to step up and do some good for the umpiring community. 
And, and that's the thing. You're not going to get the 70 year old watching YouTube videos because some of them don't even know how to turn turn YouTube on at this stage. But you get yeah, you, you get yeah. the younger people where, where most of their social interactions are with their phones or with their computers, and they don't they they don't talk to people in general. I shouldn't say in general, but a lot of times. So it, it's quite funny that that that's uh, been a, a good tool that you guys have. Uh, it's no, I think it's a great a great thing, and because then the guys who were part of your clinic and are in the video, they can go back and, and see that as well. So that, that helps them immensely because people, um, people in general don't believe that they've made a mistake, but if it's on a video a lot, then they'll, they'll learn on those things and it helps so much more. And then with the, with, with the YouTube videos, guys can guys and I shouldn't say just guys, but guys and girls who, who do umpire, they can put themselves in that situation and say, oh, okay, that makes sense. I didn't do this right. I did do that right. Because I think one thing that uh, happens with the umpires is that we don't get enough um, positive reinforcement. We only get told how bad we are. But if you see something that you did well and notice that you did something well, that's going to help a lot. We, we don't we don't get enough pat, like not that you do it for a pat in the back because you, you very rarely get one. We get told how bad we are on a consistent basis. But getting that positive reinforcement doesn't help enough. And doing things with social media probably helps a lot. Oh, it definitely does. And your point about positive reinforcement, like if we're looking for positive reinforcement, it's not going to generally come from coaches because like if we get the call right in their mind, like that's what's supposed to happen. Like yeah, you're just way to go, man. Yeah. get it right. Um, that's why it's so important to have umpire leadership out there at complexes, at, in tournament settings, at fields to evaluate guys and say like, hey, I know that coach gave you a bunch of shit for that, but that was that was great. Like that was really, really good the way you did that or the way you sold that or the way you handled the disagreement. Like the only people paying attention to what we're actually doing rather than just the outcome of the call and how it affects a team and like their chances of winning are us. So if we can get a instructor out there or an evaluator or somebody who's a college umpire who has an off day, who wants to go check out a high school umpire and we can go, you know, say, Hey, that was, you're doing a really good job. Here's what you can fix, but like you're doing a, B and C really well. That keeps guys engaged. That keeps umpires, you know, feeling positive about what this is. And I, I just don't think, we help umpires feel positive enough. And I think that's something that the that the videos did on YouTube to people who don't even know anything about umpiring. It was like, hey, this this is kind of cool. Like, this is pretty cool what they're doing. This is the kind of training they're doing. This is how much they care about amateur youth baseball and getting getting plays right and putting them in the, themselves in the right spot. Uh, and I think that that just that resonated a little bit. Like, this is pretty damn cool. Like, rather than this, you know, maybe boring um, 75, you know, th this umpiring gig that's reserved for 75 year old retired guys like hey i could see myself doing this lucky land casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky lucky in line at the deli i guess aha in my dentist's office more than once actually do i have to say yes you do in the car before my kids pta meeting really yes excuse me what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky i never win and tell well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Yeah, that's one thing that we're really trying to push here. We're going, going like, I got a buddy who's a principal of a high school, and I said, hey, can we, uh, can you put something in, the, in the, the email or the whatever and try to recruit some kids who are a little bit younger, and then maybe they got older brothers, and I, and I got some friends who were part of the college here in Lethbridge trying to get th those kind of guys involved in it, that, hey, it's not that bad of a thing. And that's one thing that I, 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 we're trying to do here is that not just um, 
be mentors so much, but go out on the field with some younger guys and be their partners and say, Hey, this is, this is all right. This is, this is actually fun. And one day you might end up in a, in a college wood bat baseball game or something like that, where, where you're, you're part of the, not, you don't want to be part of the show, but for lack of a better term, you're part of the, of the event and, and trying to, trying to say, okay, you're my partner tonight. Let's go have some fun. Let's go, go and do this. I'm not going to correct you on the field. I'm going to be just your partner throughout the game. Afterwards, we might say something, but during the game, I'm just your equal, and we go that, go out there and do it. Yeah, I mean that's a the w- all the things we're talking about here for developing umpires requires time and effort, if you've noticed, yeah. and it requires people who want to take this stuff on, people that have experience like yourself or like me or like some of our staff, people who want to put in time and effort, and I just don't think there's enough of that out there. Um, to really make headway in the, with this problem that we all have. And a lot of it is because a lot of these organizations are, people are doing this part-time, they're doing it on the side, or the assigner doesn't have time to go out there and not only work their nine to five, but they also have to assign the actual games. Like where is the time where they're going to go out there and check out the umpires? Or where are they going to assign themselves with a cadet? It's just hard to do. So we've been really fortunate on our end to have a staff in place. And we're not like a, we're not the prototypical high school organization where uh, we have a meeting in a cafeteria every two weeks in a high school. And we've streamlined our resources to support these umpires as much as we can and make sure we have people evaluating them. They're working with them that are taking an interest in their experience and trying to help them along the way. I think if we can do that nationwide, worldwide, that's how we're going to solve the problem is supporting umpires, giving them the tools to succeed but that requires time and effort and resources. No, what you've done there is pretty phenomenal. It's kind of something that we're, we're pushing for. I've been, been trying to preach this thing with the guys that are, that are involved with me. We, we, there's only four of us, sometimes five guys getting the life's getting away and everything else. But we're trying to get to, to a, a point here that we got to some different forces that push here uh, in Canada away. Cause there's so many different, different these and that and different people that have been doing it right or doing it, not right. Doing it their way for so long. And something that, that you, you try to infiltrate some different ideas, not that not they're any more right or wrong or, or whatever it is, but they're just different. And we're getting a, a, some pushback with that, that, well, this way we've always done it. Well, we have an all-time low, low of uh, empire, umpire enrollment. Can we try something different? But you have the, these old, this old boy mentality that makes things pretty tough. And uh, what, no, the way you, you, you're doing things there, I think it's, it's phenomenal and how things have, have grown for you. I think it's great to, the, the way you've helped the umpires uh, right across the country, just with your YouTube and everything else. I think what you've done, John, it's, it's, it's phenomenal. I think it's remarkable actually. Thank you very much. I think, I just think we've got to, however we do it. Um, and I say we, because we're all in this thing together is try to just keep shining a light on the old, the old process is so broken. And if this was anything else in the world, if this was a business, if this was a contracting business, if this was a doctor's office, if anybody ran whatever business you want to plug in for this scenario, the way that we all have for the last 35 or 40 years, we'd be out of business. We'd no longer be profitable. We wouldn't have enough product. We wouldn't have enough staff. So like, if we can look and see see where we're at, you know, if, if you're in an organization or, or your situation where you're in an organization, if, if we can look and say we've la- we've lost an average of 15 umpires a year for the last 20 years, uh, we've seen marginal increases or no increases in umpire fees, and we've seen really no uh, positive impact from our training program, 
how can we move forward with this and not make any changes? Like that's total insanity. So the more we can shine a light on that, the better. And I try to just keep talking, like get away from the emotional stuff because it's not about emotion. It's about this is how we've done it. The track record is awful. Let's not keep doing that. Let's do something different. And here's another one. Let's stop charging new umpires any money. Like 100%. Stop charging the money. Um, Every barrier for an umpire to get involved is a negative. We have, and we, we got here from a very sad situation because we lost an umpire who was not an, not old. Um, he was a young guy with a family and, uh, he, he passed from cancer and his wish when he passed was to start a scholarship program in his name solely for umpires, which was totally amazing. And through donations, not only do we not have to charge the umpires anything, we don't even have to make them go buy their own stuff. Like through this program, we can buy their equipment for them, which is amazing. But at least let's stop with the dues. Let's stop with the you know fee for us to train them. Like these people are valuable resources. Get them in the building, train them, stop charging them fees. That would be my first piece of advice. It's free. The cadet class has to be free. Yeah, we do it every other weekend. There's there's three three of us that are uh, instructors every other weekend. We're doing it, and it's 100% free. And we even have some older guys that come still, and they can't believe that the instruction they're getting, and it's free because everything else would cost – like everything you do nowadays costs money. Like as soon as you well, leave your awesome. house, you're losing money, right, no matter what. So they're, yeah. it, it's free. Just come and learn something. And if you if you learn one thing, uh, great. And if you, if, you, if you learn two things, even better. And then come in two weeks from now, bring a buddy because we're going to review what, what what we did. It might be a more of a brief review, but we're going to review so you aren't left left behind and you still have a chance of learning something. And we're going to help make sure that you succeed when you go out there on the field. No, it's it's a way to, to get guys out there. Thank you very much for joining me on this show because it's putting some ideas and it's going to put ideas out of people's head to the, the people who listen. Uh, hopefully it gets out there. I got one question for you. We're not going to make it easy on you uh, before you go here. Uh, what's the worst call that you ever made as an umpire? Tell me that you'll probably remember the two teams because as an umpire, you usually get it entrenched in your head what the two teams were, what day of the week it was, what happened, what time of day, the, the whole bit. What's the, the one call you really wish you could have back? Tuesday, April 6th, Rowan, <laughs> Rowan University versus Haverford College. I was on the plate. Um and uh, at the time, like Rowan University is a pretty, um, pretty highly ranked uh, Division Three baseball team in the area, well, nationally, but they're in our, they're in my area here. And um, their leadoff guy, uh, while I was on the plate, hit a screaming line drive right at the foul pole with nobody on base. And I made the mistake of just assuming my partner was going to go out and make this call, fair foul or home run, no home run. Yeah. And so with me assuming that I just, I'm taking the runner. I'm like, I'm like running like a bat out of hell towards second base, you know, to cut around the mound and take him into second or potentially third. If there is a, uh, a play and the ball stays in the park. Well, the ball did not stay in the park. And my partner was standing right next to me in the middle of the infield. Um, and I looked up and realized that I'm going to have to call this thing fair or foul. And so I took a couple steps to my right to try to get anywhere remotely close to the foul line, but the ball had already cleared the fence. And I just, you know, you got fair foul. That's that's your only two calls. So, yeah. so I kind of flipped a coin in my head and called it foul. And uh, pretty shortly thereafter, kind of knew that 
it was fair because everybody went just totally ballistic. <laughs> it's funny. It's funny how nobody helps out just before that. Hey, <laughs> well, you know what? I've learned since then. Like, if you totally have no clue, like, let's use some context clues because if I look back and replay it in my head, that right fielder looked pretty dejected once that ball went over the fence, and the the hitter was pretty excited coming around first. Yeah, and like, if I have no clue what just happened, those two pieces of evidence would kind of point towards that ball's fair and a home run. But I didn't use those two pieces of evidence, and I called it foul um, and had a pretty lengthy argument. Um, and it wasn't something we can overturn because my partner wasn't looking at it. Uh, and then, oh, you know, man. I woke up the next morning with a video in my inbox of a, a very, very fair home run. Yeah, I had one years ago with a whacker down. The first base coach, he leaned in. The runner was going. The catcher was going. I I called it fair, and it was it was this much foul or back and forth. I can't remember what it was so long ago. But, yeah, same situation. But back then, there, there wasn't uh, such thing as uh, iPhones and things taking taking videos of every last move that we had. But, no, that is funny. You, you made that say you could take the uh, the read of, of the players around you, and they'll – and it's a quick little look around and they'll make the call for you sometimes because that can happen. There's no doubt about it. No, that that's a great story. And those are the ones that stick in your head, no matter what, like you, you can make a hundred great calls and you know, you got that one, that one, right. But when they're wrong, you're like, Oh man, I'd really tank that one. Yeah. That's I will funny. never forget that day, that call. And, um, I will never forget the conversation I had with the head coach who's, who, you know, who was kind of screwed on that play. Um, and, and it, it's never it's never something in the third inning of a, of a non-contact like and a blowout either it's like oh man this one no because everybody just forgets us. about that so it just gets glossed over but that actually ended up being like a one-run game too it was just a perfect storm of disaster i think i actually had a pretty good plate game for for the circumstances had yeah. like blowing the first call of the game terribly um <laughs> but yeah I, I my goal at this point is just to make sure that remains the worst call of my career and hopefully that's not surpassed by any other call that's worse. How many games still do a year? Not that many anymore. Um, you know, as I get, as we grow and as um, my responsibility with perfect game grows, I do less and less. I do some high school games locally, yeah. but I'm probably going to have to take a step back from that too. Cause we picked up a couple of conferences. Um, and I do, um, I work for United collegiate umpires and Alex Scandalis and uh that stuff starts in February sometimes. So yeah. I can still fit in a few games in late February, early March, but I'm probably down to working about 25, 30 games a year. Yeah. Last year we started even up here in Canada. I mean, it's, it's not horrible. It's not the, the frozen tundra where I am by any means. We started first of March and they tried to get games in February. So it's a, it's a full-time gig here. I don't know how there's that many games when there's not that many participants, but it's going mm. full-time anyways. John, tell us about uh, the, the your, where you are on social media, where they can find you and what you got going on in the very near future with your associations. Yeah. So our website is tseumpires.com. Um, there's a lot of information there. Facebook uh, at TSE Umpires. Um, my Twitter is uh, JohnnyG523. Should probably get something more TSE related for that. But um, we we post everything we have on all those platforms. You know, for the betterment of umpires, not just not just in our area. We want people to engage, and if we can be of assistance, to even like an organization like yours or just an umpire in no matter where they are, we want to be able to help and be a part of the solution. So. Um, even if you're not in our particular area, um, I would say reach out, follow us because not only can we probably help a little bit, 
but we may be in your area soon because um, we continue to expand and continue to. <laughs> the way um, you're growing to, in Jersey and and and, and, Philly, and Philly, you might be in Southern Alberta. The way you guys are going, it's it's fantastic. And you know, I think I think it's great what you guys are doing for for umpires. It's something that got left behind, and people just automatically assume that umpires going to be be around forever, and and it's not. So it's a, it's a it's a very tough thing. And I thank you very much for for coming on the show today and for to giving some knowledge and uh, having a, a laugh at the end for the bad call and everything else because it's good. And the thing is, like you said, look, we should try to really forget about focusing on the negative of umpiring and all the horror stories that that do get a lot of media and focus on, on the positives of it because that's the way you're, you're going to get people to get people out and that's uh that's the best way but all the the, the media stuff that you hear and and start, start yeah we can't audience. control that stuff you know we can't control the news articles that get written or what you know pops up on the nightly news but what we can control is when we get in front of an audience or we get in front of a group of college kids like why are we talking about that yeah yeah, the negativity but, that's, that's happened throughout media and everything else and the craziness that's going on in the world. When you get in the baseball field, you can actually forget about that crap for a couple, three hours a night and go out and have a good time. And that's something we really got to push out there to people that you can be a part of the game and uh, and have a good time for three three hours, sometimes six hours if you do, do a doubleheader or, or, or an entire day. Because baseball is still, to me, the, the greatest game in the world. If we can still be a part of it when you're, like I said, I'm 48 years old and you can do it till you're X amount of years old and, and get in younger, I think that's what we, we got to find a way to get people to do that for sure no doubt about it all right john thank you very much once again for being on hey blue number six i appreciate it and we'll uh we'll keep up with you we'll keep in touch in the uh in the, in the near future and see how things are going with uh, your association i'll give you an update what we got going on with mine later on and uh no thank you very much sir it was uh greatly appreciated yeah man thanks for having me have a good thank off season man talk to you soon thank you Thank you for listening to this Belly Up Sports Podcast Network product. Some said we go belly up, so we made it our name. And we're still here. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Here at the Container Store, we believe you shouldn't be limited to just one happy place. Your home should be full of them. That's why we're giving you 30% off every custom alpha space. From closets and pantries to playrooms, offices, and garages, you can transform any area with alpha and save 30%. Here's another happy thought. Our design specialists will design your space for free. Get ready to discover your new happy place at the Container Store. Visit us in-store or online to get started with a free design.